This is the Olive Magazine podcast, a weekly roundup of food and drink chat brought to you by the team behind Olive Magazine. I'm Janine, Olive's food director and podcast host, and this is episode 150. This week, digital editor Alex heads back to her home county of Yorkshire to visit legendary tea room Betty's. It's her 100th birthday this year, and they share tips on how to create the perfect afternoon tea and the secret behind their famous fat rascals. Then later, Ellie chats to Rachel and Clara, founders of Rooted Spices, about the importance of single origins in the spice world, the power of spice blends, and why Finland produces such great caraway. So it's Alex here, and I am at Betty's in York, and I'm here. It's a very, very special place for me because I actually came to Betty's before I went home after being born from the hospital. So I was a week old, and I've been coming ever since with my family, celebrating lots of special occasions. And Betty's are celebrating their own special occasion, aren't they, this year? Um, I'm with Hannah Reynolds, and um, she's going to talk to us about afternoon tea, but also Betty's is turning 100 this year do we know an exact date or 17th of july wow okay the official first day but okay so 1919 that's a lot of history isn't it a lot of history a lot of afternoon tea yeah and can you very very briefly tell our listeners if they don't know i'm sure they will because it's such an institution but what betty's is so betty's as you said started in 1919 um It was opened by our founder, Frederick Belmont, who was a Swiss immigrant who came to Yorkshire having got lost when he arrived in England. Ah. Um, He'd lost the directions on the way and he remembered the name sounded remotely like um, Bratwurst, which was German for sausage, but very little English. (laughs) And he was directed helpfully to Bradford, which was the wrong coast, wrong end of the country. Oh, gosh. Reminded him so much of Switzerland, he decided to stay. Amazing. And as he was a confectioner, Yorkshire, obviously, at the time, was like the capital of the, the country for all things delicious and chocolatey. So he decided to stay a while and um, decided to open Betty's as somewhere lovely and elegant and to come and have a treat, have a nice time. Yeah. And here we are 100 years later, six branches of Betty's, our own cookery school, wanting to just keep that magic going. Yeah, it is very magical. And yeah, it's worth noting that it is like kind of a Swiss tea rooms isn't it so you have an amazing swiss alpine macaroni which is so indulgent with like bacon and cheese and potatoes and pasta it's a really good is... marriage because like you know yorkshire we, we do like our rich uh, good hearty yeah. food and that's the swiss diets and we always say it's that wonderful mix of swiss precision and yorkshire warmth that just goes together really nicely and that's kind of what betty's is really absolutely very well put <laughs> so we're here to talk about afternoon tea so that's the more traditional English part of Betty's. And you have been serving afternoon tea for not, not exactly 100 years, but shortly no, the, after that they opened. The first afternoon tea we served was in the 1920s, so not long after not long. opening. 90 years. <laughs> we'll give effect a few <laughs> things first yeah. before we uh, release it. And um, any tips for people serving afternoon tea? Because I know our, listen, uh, our listeners and readers love afternoon tea because our afternoon tea in London and across the country content is very, very popular in our recipes. So um, how should we serve it at home? 
if you're going to do it at home, the important thing is, you know, it's not playing by anyone's rules, it's do it exactly as you like it. Um, a lot of sort of debate goes around with afternoon tea. If you look at, you know, which order does the jam and the cream go on? And oh gosh, yeah, we've had that those. debate a few times. Yeah. What are you? So for myself, I'm a cream and then jam kind of girl. Oh. But, um, but then in my own family, it's not the same. My son does it the other way around. So Yeah, I do jam yeah. first. It's the, the important thing is to do it exactly how you like it. Um, crusts must be gone that I think is you know, the whole thing of it's that little extra touches those little things you can do to have that bit of ceremony to the afternoon tea um, you know you can invest in the sort of the big stand and make it look pretty and beautiful because I think that to me is part of afternoon tea absolutely it's yeah the, people want the tradition yeah, and the, the, it's the flavours it's the elegance it's the visual and just preparing it can make it so much more special as well when you're doing it at home so if we're making our scones at home from scratch, what makes the perfect scone? Perfect scone, it's got to still be a bit fluffy and warm. You know, it's having that texture and everything. Um, the fillings, you know, it's going to what else you're having. You know, there's nothing like a really good classic sultana scone, like that nice plump, juicy fruit. Mix it up with your seasons. You know, if you're going into Christmas, do a bit of sort of cranberry and orange. Or, um, you know, in summer we do like lemon and rose and really just oh, sort of lean into the flavours that nice. are around you. I think yeah, it's a really good way to go. Definitely. And then, as you say, so we... We won't go into the, the debate fully, but if anybody wants to tell us how they have theirs, make sure you get in touch with us on uh, Olive Magazine uh, on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram and tell us how you like to have your cream and jam. Because I know that causes some stirs amongst Devon and York, uh, Devon and Cornwall yeah. um, in particular. <laughs> it's our most frequently asked question when we do have people having tea for the first really? time. How they should do it. How, yeah, how they should do it. Is there a particular order? And as we say, you know, the more most important thing is that it's how you like it yeah. how you enjoy it try both and then decide it's like wine isn't it a good wine is one you like so yes. yeah and you have something really unique at Betty's um that everyone always asks when I come up to Yorkshire they always ask me to take back down to London fat rascals fat rascals, <laughs> fat rascals. so they are the only reason I say talk about them now is they're relatively scone like but I'm sure you're going to tell me a lot more detail about them. Yeah, the, the origin is in sort of the, the scone family, but they're just a bit heartier. They're jam-packed with all the fruit, the nuts, the spices. For me, I, I always, if I'm trying to describe it to somebody who's never experienced it, it's that wonderful meeting between a, a cake, a scone and a biscuit. It's like the best of everything. You know, you can have it as a breakfast, you can have it with a cup of tea in the afternoon. It's, and you have them yeah. toasted? You can't, yeah, warm them up. Um, I personally don't. I, then I like to dip them in tea. Oh, dip them in yes. like a biscuit. Oh, yes. controversial. I do, I do my chocolate digestives dipped into tea. And um, do they have raisins or sultanas in? Sultanas, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I don't actually know how many I've had in the past. I'm sure we'll have had one when I was little. I think the fruit um, it's most famous for is obviously the cherries. It makes that lovely smiley face with the almonds oh, and the cherries. Of yeah. Yeah, so if anyone hasn't seen one, it's literally, it looks like a scone with, with, a, smiley, yes. with a smiley face. It's very cute. Good for, for little, little rascals. Um, and then in terms of tea and cake, so the cake course in an afternoon tea is always very popular, but it's, it's very difficult not to fill up on the sandwiches and the scones. So you always have to leave room for oh, the cake. Oh, there's always room for pudding. Yeah. Do you serve them at the same time? We've... 
it's presented all at once. Um, traditionally, people tend to work from like the bottom up. They start with the sandwiches and then the scones and treat the cakes as like desserts. Um, again, there's no rule saying that's how it has to be done. A lot of people do like to have a, a bit of savoury, a bit of sweet, helps the stamina keep going. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, I like to save everything until the end. Uh, but then I look at an afternoon tea stand and I strategize and I go, I'm going to eat in which order. And you know, yeah. it's serious business. It, no, it really is. Because when I um, I used to do a lot of the afternoon tea reviews on olivemagazine.com and I actually had to really have a strategy because at the beginning I used to have like seconds of the finger sandwiches and two scones loads and loads of clotted cream and then I literally didn't have time like didn't have room sorry to to have the cakes but um yeah now I've learned better so just a tip for people who don't have it that often make sure you you pace yourself yeah <laughs> so you can always go back to the savory you can you can so let's talk about those cakes I know you've been going for a long time, so what are the best cakes that you serve? I think the, the pastries. Most, most popular is the classic, the macaroon. It's something that you can adapt to the seasons. You, know, you can have different flavours, different times of years. They're beautifully colourful, like artfully put together. You can decorate with the sugar flowers, and I just think that they're such a luxury item, and everyone expects, I think, a bit of a macaroon mm. on there. And um, do, you, do you make those, I presume you make those in-house? Our bakery makes yeah. everything. Any for tips us. for the perfect macaroon? Consistent Macron. piping. Consistent piping. Yes. Make sure that they all stay the same and they stack and mould. Oh, because I suppose when you're baking, do you bake macaroons? Yeah. So when you're baking them, they all have to be the same. Yes. So I think they'll cook at the same time. They'll mm. stay this uniform shape. Um, it's all like hand pod and baked so I can imagine the the Betty's bakery like piping them all out I bet it's very precise yes it's, <laughs> oh it's so efficient and <laughs> so wonderfully well done when you walk around and you see everyone at work and the the de- like the dedication to getting everything looking just right <laughs> what's your favorite flavor of macaroon you've had here black currant black currant yes Ooh, I mean, it's like, quite I lo- nice actually yeah, quite I love strong color, flavor like, i love the good purple and then it's just that nice tartness especially if you're having a bit of the chocolatey and the indulgent it just nice palate cleanser in mm. the middle and then what are you going to have after that palate cleanser anything sort <laughs> of nutty i'm a, a big fan of the nuts and i think it's nice to have them the mix on a good afternoon tea to have your, your fruity elements something a bit nutty and obviously you've got to have chocolate on there somewhere yeah definitely. what what do you guys have chocolatey chocolatey uh, we have a grand crew passion fruit cube at the moment which is chocolate mousse with a caramel passion fruit syrup filling that's really nice it's got that nice fruity burst in the middle mm. but you know good chocolate mousse it's still light but very indulgent so it helps with that not filling too soon yeah and i always used to have i don't know if you have it anymore the chocolate swiss chocolate roulade yes. do you have that anymore it's not on our current menu, but we no. do change throughout. That, I used to come and always have that. It's so, so delicious. So, yeah, you should definitely get it back on the menu. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, obviously, we can't talk about afternoon tea without the tea. So I'm actually having a Betty's blend tea right now, and um, I always do whenever I come here. And you, uh, Betty's and Taylor's of Harrogate are the same company, aren't they? And uh, Taylor's of Harrogate make Yorkshire tea. So whenever I'm in the office, um, actually you probably heard another podcast, I'm obsessed with Yorkshire tea and I always argue with people if they don't have it. But um, there are lots of other great teas out there, but I think Yorkshire really has nostalgia there. And um, 
it's a take on, well, it's not a take on the Yorkshire tea, but it's made by the same people. So it si has similarities, but what's the unique quality of the Betty's blend? So the Betty's blend is always having a good quality Assam tea. We've Assam. just identified the, the regions that sort of provide the best sort of flavours that work well with the water, because Yorkshire tea obviously is designed to be made with Yorkshire water, and we do have like, the regional variations. But for Betty's, uh, we've got our afternoon tea blend as well, which is designed for having food. It's putting a little bit of Darjeeling in with the Assam, and it just helps lighten it and makes it a bit less sort of of a heavy mouthfeel that means when you're having lots of different types of food that you can still taste your tea, taste and enjoy it and it just partners really well. Lovely. And um, do you have any other blends that are really unique and specific to Betty's? Well, the, the traditional favourite is Darjeeling to have yeah. with an afternoon tea as it's the perfect tea to drink in the afternoon. It's not as, as heavy. It's not got that malty wake you up feel that you need earlier in the day. And it's is rumoured to be the first tea that was ever taken with af with the whole afternoon tea thing by really? the, the Duchess of Bedford. So um, before it became quite the, the full fare it is today. Uh, but again, it's preference. It's what you like. I quite like sort of more florally teas. So we do like a China rose petal. So it's still Ooh, lovely. Still got your black tea and your Assam base, but the floral in there just makes it that little bit more of in an indulgence, really. But have herbal tea. Have coffee with afternoon tea if, if yeah. that's what you want. Fika. <laughs> yes. They have in, in Scandinavia. So um, you touch a little bit on uh, Lady... Who was it? Lady... The Duchess of Bedford. The Duchess of Bedford. Yes. So she was the one who um, was the conjurer The pioneer of, who's sort of credited tea. with the start of afternoon tea. Um, in the early 1800s, uh, she was known to get quite faint in the afternoons and for medicinal reasons needed to have <laughs> tea and cake. And it is noted that it was Darjeeling, I think, was her preference and to have to take tea and cake and started the fashion for it and it's kind of built from there from sort of like the little cream tea which we know is just like the, the pick-me-up to the full you know stand and ceremony and it was just a big sensation with all the ladies of the time and we're still loving it today i know it's i'm it's lucky that they did that because otherwise we wouldn't we wouldn't be here now um so as we touched on before betty's is turning 100 this year that's a long history of traditions. Have you got any fun anecdotes, afternoon tea-related anecdotes of that from that history? Because I don't think you've been here for 100 years looking no. at you. No. <laughs> <laughs> anything from the archives. I think our favourite anecdotes is just seeing the popularity and the, like, the notoriety that we have people from local legends to travellers from all corners of the world that have heard of afternoon tea, never experienced of it, but have heard of Betty's and want to have that experience. And it's just lovely. You come in at nine o'clock in the morning and people are too eager to wait till the afternoon and having <laughs> afternoon tea for breakfast. And why not though? Why, exactly, why, not? why wait? It's too <laughs> yeah. good to wait. And it's just lovely. Just I think my favourite anecdote is seeing people enjoying it for the first time, to, like, to be the start of someone else's traditions, because we've been loving it in Betty's since the 20s. And everyone who's sort of worked here come through the door visited it's like their start of their journey and I think it's everyone's little anecdotes at the moment we're collecting like memories from everyone's families so it's just nice to sort of flick through and see 
people's entries and all their memories, you know, their wedding afternoon tea where they had oh. it, but instead of the traditional three-course dinner menu to people who've you know, come for the first time with children and grandchildren, they were brought by their grandparents. You know, as you said yourself, you came before you'd even gone home to the yep. hospital. First, so. per, first place I saw outside of a hospital. Yeah. So. They're not the, the biggest or most exciting anecdotes, but I think they're just the most No, definitely. Ones, really. And also, there's a... There's a few little legends and theories of who is Betty, because Betty's isn't exactly a Swiss name, is it? No, it's not. Um, there's quite a few theories as to who was Betty or why was that name chosen. Um, the three favourites that I have was the first Betty's was opened up in Harrogate, and there's a bit of a local legend who uh, was known as the Queen of the Wells, and that was Queen Bet of the Wells. Queen of the Wells. Okay. Um, Harrogate being the spa town, and um, when Frederick opened Betty's, obviously he was wanting to appeal to the the ladies coming to sort of relax and indulge. And she's like a big local hero there from the 1800s of who was known to dole out the sulphur water and the medicinal things. So she's a bit of a local Harrogate legend. So there's a theory that that's where the name comes from. One of my favourites is that in the first board meeting, um, the granddaughter of one of the backers sort of interrupted the meeting, wandering in with her toy tea set, and she was called Betty. Oh, that's cute. And I like that one. I love that one. Just the idea of like the little toddler with her, yeah. her wooden teacups. And that, you know, that's what it was going for. It was going for that sort of charm and warmth, and that's what you come to Betty's for. Absolutely. And there's also the theory that there was a musical around at the time, which doesn't seem to have survived, but it was a musical about um, a scully, scullery maid called Betty. And it was a whole musical that it was believed that they went to see the family. So oh, it could okay. be that, that that particular musical just made an impact on them. But those are my three favourites. Yeah. Other people have come up with their own and we get letters and things all the time on who they think it was. Or... But that's part of it, isn't it? It doesn't have to be true. Yeah. It's I like... don't kind of want that to be a definitive answer no. either. It'd like, be a bit boring yeah. if it was just like a lady who decided to, well, if it was one of his you know, ladies that he took a liking to, you know, be a bit boring, wouldn't it? Yeah, so I, I like the mystery and yeah. the debate and, you know, all the whole team, we all have our pet theories and favourites and we just like to keep it keep it a mystery. Well, it's kept it's been very popular because it's been around for a hundred years and well, here's to another hundred. Yes. Um, I don't think we'll be here then, but no. <laughs> hopefully when they're celebrating the 200 year birthday, it'll be um, it'll be just the same because it's managed to stay the same really but obviously keeping with the times and keeping the quality up so yeah hats off to you all so thanks Thank a lot you. for letting me chat to you and sharing some little anecdotes and yeah and some tips and afternoon tea thank you Brilliant. so hello i'm here with clara and rachel founders of rooted spices in their east london studio we're surrounded by boxes of the beautiful tins of smoked paprika nutmeg aleppo pepper everything you can imagine so they've got backgrounds in law as well as being a food writer and recipe developer and the two set up rooted spices in 2018 selling beautiful tins of single origin spices so how did rooted rooted spices first come about 
Um, I suppose, so I've been working in food for about the last 10 years and I have worked predominantly as a food writer. So a lot of that is looking at food trends. And um, I guess that some of the big stories over the last decade have been the growth of coffee, chocolate, tea, and the different way that we're consuming it. So it's a lot more provenance led. And um, I guess that it's that 10 years ago, people might have had a teaspoon of Nescaf instance, and now they're looking for single origin coffee beans and the same with single plantation cacao, cacao beans to go into chocolate. And um, I figured that there were more people cooking from scratch and putting more effort in um, into home cooked meals. And it just seemed really incongruous that nobody was doing that with um, spices and that you put all this effort into making a curry and you buy your lovely chicken and you set aside a couple of hours to open a glass of wine and do it. And then it gets the crunch bit where you put in all of the flavour and um, you just get these sort of dusty old little jars that have been sat at the back of your kitchen cabinet for ages. So that was really the big impetus. And um, all of this coincided with um, my colleague Clara leaving law and looking for a change. Yeah, at the time I was um, working as a lawyer, um, I was enjoying it, but I think I was looking for something else. Um, I was thinking about leaving to go and do an MBA because I thought that was a sensible thing to do. <laughs> and then Rach came to me with this idea and we were at school together. So and we'd always okay. talked about doing businesses and we'd had all these ideas. Um, Rach was always coming to me with different business ideas. I was like, no, Rach, come on. But this one, I thought, actually, this is um, this could work. So I left law and we started it last year. How did you start? So you had this idea that you wanted to sell these single origin spices. How did you then put that into practice? So it was quite an organic process from the beginning. We we were looking at where to get the spices from. Mm. We wanted to get the best spices. We wanted to taste all the spices we were sourcing. So I think that was one of the most important things for us at the beginning was sitting down and just tasting. I think at one point we had about 20 or 30 turmerics around the kitchen table, wow. um, eating a lot of dal and white rice. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's how we, we started. We also wanted to make sure that the actual container for the spices was mm. kitchen friendly. Um, I know that in my kitchen, I had all these old dusty glass jars that you just chucked they didn't you know they didn't sit nicely next yeah. to one another and we've got these little square tins that yes. do sit, sit neatly next to one another so that was important to us as well yeah also the um the glass jars get say sun bleached as well we've mm. um, got a photograph of some spices from my granddad's kitchen and they have been sat by the window for about 15 years totally untouched oh and they're all goodness. the exact same color of beige um so <gasps> oh my god <laughs> So, so I don't mean, put it in a glass jar. That's <laughs> no, exactly. So if you, they really do lose their potency very quickly mm. if they're stored incorrectly. So that was quite a big deal for us. But it really, um, I guess it all started with putting together the range and just focusing on taste. And I think the thing that we found most fascinating was the more spices we got together, the more you realise what a wide spectrum of, of, of taste that there is. So yeah. like Clara said, we'd have about... 30 humans all in tiny little jars on the kitchen table and a big bowl of rice there and you start tasting it and if you shut your eyes it's almost like tasting completely different spices because really? of course they're all grown in different countries which have different climates yeah. which have um different methods of harvesting them and um so it's just like it's just like the same as with coffee and chocolate that there's a huge taste spectrum within each spice so how did you when you had all these say 20 turmerics on the table mm -hmm. had you found the people that you wanted to source 
these spices from and then did they send you samples or how did that yeah yeah we started off just by writing to a lot of people and asking them to send in samples and then it was interesting that you very quickly um start to pick up on specific notes and things like that so we we realized with um with allspice for example like Mm. poor quality allspice actually has quite a soapy taste in it and um so you start pulling out the particular notes and things that you're looking for turmeric was a really big one for us because i think that bad turmeric can just be so bitter Mm. and so astringent and can really actually ruin a dish and um good um good turmeric almost has like these very very bright lively peppery Mm. notes to it and cinnamon's been a really big one. My my mum yeah. is quite puritanical when it comes to okay. cinnamon. She uses it a lot. And um, and it's interesting that a lot of stuff that is labelled as cinnamon mm. is in fact cassia bark. And it doesn't oh. have any of the natural sweetness. So if you're using cinnamon in a recipe for the sweet notes, then you really do need true cinnamon. So right. we source ours from Sri Lanka and it's absolutely delicious. So... Um, Obviously, they're single origin. Um, can you just explain to people listening that might might not understand necessarily what that means, really? So, I mean, basically, it just means that the spices that we source come from a specific region rather than if I think if you've got um, supermarket spices, you can look on the label and the majority of them will say product of more than one country. And in a day and age where provenance and transparency mm. is so important, we just don't, don't think it's okay that spices are still it's okay for spices to come from more than one country yeah um so yeah that's been one of our biggest biggest selling points like particularly thinking about the turmeric Mm -hmm. um i know that some of the biggest exporters are um, peru and china but i think it's quite widely known that some of the best turmeric is grown in india and specifically in alipi and if you actually Mm -hmm. drill down down into it it's because that's where it's the highest percentage curcumin and it's the curcumin which gives it the flavor and the color and has the health benefits so it's um it's really interesting when you start drilling down into the provenance how much of a difference it makes and i guess unless you you really look at these things people just going to the supermarket picking up a jar of cinnamon might they probably just think oh this is you know this is cinnamon this is what I'm yeah, going to of get course. you don't realize do you until you really taste something that as it should be yeah it's totally kind of, understandable yeah. and I mean we did that for decades as well before becoming mm. total yeah. spice nerds <laughs> no, um, <laughs> but I think it's it's interesting a lot a lot of it is to do with the placement as well like we mm. always find it quite funny that the um supermarket spices are kind of next to the tinned ravioli and things like that <gasps> in the supermarket aisles and yeah. people forget that they are fresh ingredients mm. you know when people talk about plant-based diets of course all spices come from plants and um I think we try and reflect this in the packaging we've got lots of um kind of uh, leaves and shoots and roots because I think that there is this big disconnect that people think of spices almost as a kind of like artificial seasoning I don't know yeah Um, just as something that you add in at the end almost or something but actually it's with curries like you say it's the main part of the the dish isn't it that's it's where all of the flavor comes from I mean I made a curry the other day that was literally onions yeah <laughs> and then just spices onions. Yeah, that's, all, that's all you need <laughs> onions lentils and spices so I think that if you're gonna be cooking dals like that mm. then it is really important to get the flavor right and also just talking about curry I think lots of people do think spices are just for curries yeah. and we wanted to move away from just um selling Indian spices mm. and we've so we've got our Japanese togarashi which is really really easy to use you can just sprinkle it on some grilled salmon or on a ramen dish um so moving away from 
having having to use say nine or ten spices in a complex curry you could use our house blend and you just sprinkle that on at the end yeah so I want to talk about the blends but first of like you mentioned um a lot of people when they think of curries and they think of spices they will think of India because Mm -hmm. that's kind of the heat and all of that but what what other countries do you source your spices from um well, we we source we source from all over the place. I'm looking at the spices. Yeah, well, there's, an, there's an amazing uh, whiteboard covered with all the types of spices <laughs> and where they come from. It's yeah, it's yeah <laughs> So we yeah we get our cardamom from Guatemala, which is now the biggest um, biggest producer of cardamom in the world, and oh, it's wow. known as green gold there. Oh, we wow. get our caraway from Finland and we have probably the most exciting one for both of us and Clara will talk about this in a minute no doubt because it's very close to our heart but um, we get a shipment that comes in from Turkey and it was almost exactly a year ago because it was during the beast from the east last year yeah. that we got our first Turkish shipment because oh, really? it was just when they were saying don't snows on the road don't make journeys unless you have to and I was like <laughs> our ship is coming in from Istanbul <laughs> these spices aren't going to make it to Hackney by themselves oh, no. so I literally put the terrier in the car got a thermos of dal and sort of set off through this blizzard to go and get our Turkish oh spices. So um, so that's so we get um, two different types of Turkish chilies there, an Aleppo pool beaver and an mm. Urfa pool beaver. And we also get um, sumac and mm. beautiful, beautiful fennel seeds, like really, yeah, really wow. fat green fennel seeds, not at all like the sort of like dusty beige ones yeah, that you get and they're so full of flavour. And um, also, lo- yeah, coriander from there. So... But all, yeah. all all over all over the yeah. place. Yeah, and Finland's quite interesting um, because I, for one, wouldn't think that you get spices from Finland. So yeah, that's quite. I yeah, mean, they've been that's... a. It's the interesting thing with spices, like we say, everybody thinks of spices mm. in terms of Indian cuisine. Because I guess that that's but, yeah. Because India has been such a huge influence on British cuisine for mm. so long. But actually, if you go back, especially in the Middle Ages, spices were so much more prevalent in European cooking. Yeah, um, and they'd be used. You know, cloves and star anise would be used in day to day cooking in households throughout Britain. And they're so they're really deeply entrenched in Scandinavian cooking. Lots of um, cardamom buns and caraway yeah, breads and things like that as well and um finland has actually just got this perfect climate for growing caraway seeds so it's a lovely place to source it from and they take and they're they're so potent so yeah yeah, you have to be careful what you're storing caraway (laughs) next to because it really is can so can spices influence each other in that sense like if you put caraway next to something would that other spice be ruined almost well no no. i mean i'm just saying if the bag's open or whatever we're just careful but generally speaking I mean, once they're in our tins as well, then um, that's a really stable place to store them. Nice. Um, So, yeah, you mentioned the spice blends as well, which are really exciting. So you've got uh, the golden blend, Mm -hmm. um, which is like turmeric, cinnamon, black pepper. Yeah. Yeah. So the golden blend, that's actually one of my favourites. I have that on porridge most mornings. Um, As does my 10-month-old now. Oh, amazing. (laughs) She loves it. Um, so that's got the sweetness of the cinnamon, but mm. the turmeric and the curcumin in the turmeric is um, very anti-inflammatory. It's got okay. anti-inflammatory benefits. And the black pepper um, helps you absorb the goodness of the oh. other spices. So that's why that one's in there. Also, I should just add at this point, Clara is a lot better at um, sort of health foods than I am. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not... Lots of cinnamon buns. And you can, <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> yeah. But I'm not that much into, do you know what I mean when I say like there's really healthy, um, yes. the healthy flavours. Yeah. It's not kind of my thing at all. And I'm not a person that would usually have a golden latte or something like that. Because mm. I think that they can be really, I don't know, like a, a bit stringent, a bit worthy almost. Yes. And yeah. it's interesting with the um, golden blends in particular, because I think it's just an example of where the balancing of the flavours is mm. so important. And if you use bad cinnamon, and if you use bad turmeric, mm. then you can end up with a revolting drink, in yeah. my humble opinion. That's like also a really, probably not great for you really as well. Like. revolting drink. <laughs> yeah. I think we've all sort of, I don't know, I say we all, but lots of people I'm sure have gone to a cafe and have been like, oh, turmeric latte, that's very trendy. That's yeah. very Insta-friendly. Let's go yeah. for that. And you and you taste it. And, and it's it is revolting. <laughs> absolutely vile. And the the golden blend that we've put together I just think that it just it's a really really good example of what a difference quality spices can make because I think that you've got to have like that very peppery turmeric mm. and then that really sweet cinnamon and actually together it is beautiful and even I have it on my porridge as well I was gonna say I actually I've tried that one and I've had it in just milk mm -hmm. as a hot milk yeah. kind of mixed through and it is lovely because it's got that sweetness kind of peppery but it's delicate as well it's yeah. not it's not like you're drinking a cup of turmeric which is not pleasant no. <laughs> but um so why what was the idea behind doing the blends was that something I guess wanted? for me we wanted to make cooking with spices accessible to everyone yeah. we didn't want as we were talking about earlier with the curries you can cook from scratch with and make a curry with eight or nine spices but you can also use one of our blends and you can jazz up a dish in five seconds yeah so that was I think we've tried to get them we want to make these single origin spices available to everyone to buy but we also want to really encourage people to cook with spices and if that means using blends then mm. great and you've got a dal blend as well haven't you which yeah. is super useful because that you basically can just add that to yeah you lentils, just need can't you, you just or, need yeah, lentils and onion yeah. and a lemon and that's sorted yeah um so you mentioned we spoke about the tins briefly but they are beautiful and like you said when I first came in you're packing up them for presents and stuff but um who designed the tins do you work with someone local for that yeah we're, we're really lucky so I'm based in Bethnal Green and there's this beautiful little community behind us called Crown Works which has lots of very creative people including a pottery studio where I started doing some pottery and then um the wife uh, sorry the husband of the lady who runs Crown Works Pottery um happens to have a design studio which is oh. next door so it was literally all on our doorstep um oh. but it's a really funny one I think that everybody thinks yeah I'm a bit creative I can do this mm. um I'm sure I can take a punt and it's not until you really jump into design feet first that you realize actually what a challenge it's really yeah. challenging <laughs> best left to the professionals but they've done um such an amazing job yeah. for us and we're we're really grateful and they are beautiful because um for anyone that hasn't seen them they're kind of small smallish tins dark dark blue label and then you've also got that bright coral as well yeah. which is um and they do make a beautiful beautiful gift um and now i just want to do some like quick fire spice questions just okay. to help people who might not be sure about when the spices go off and stuff like that so firstly when do spices start to go off well so we recommend we put on our tins that it's um 
they're best used within six months. But of course, if spices hang around, then they're not going to become dangerous. They're mm. just going to lose their potency. Right. We did a competition recently, yes. our spice sprinkling competition. I loved this. <laughs> <laughs> where we asked people to take photographs of the spices, the oldest mm. spices that they've got in their in their spice cabinet. And we found some from, from West Germany. Actually, my husband's grandmother was kind of the unofficial winner. Um, <laughs> when was hers from? So, well, hers, so she lives in... Um, rural Aberdeenshire and I went okay. up and she gave me a sort of um, blow by blow it was almost like a chronology of her life this, <laughs> this, these clothes she bought when she was travelling in America and these coriander oh, she bought when she was travelling here and, there. and they're all from the 70s and 80s but she was actually disqualified because um, you had to do a spice spring clean and she got them all out of the cupboard showed me through them all and then put and them then back put them in the cupboard you were like this is not the idea of this <laughs> we're, we're sending her a bottle of whiskey That's as a baby so- prize but, um, <laughs> but also please don't use the spice that's I mean, so good. The spices aren't going to kill you if they if they do get old, but really we can promise you from all the market research mm. we've done and all of the fertilizing through people's cupboards we've done, they just lose their potency entirely. Yeah. And, you know, if you're going to use a little pinch of something in a dish, then make sure it's a pinch of something potent. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just a bit of a waste. Pointless, really, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, we've mentioned not using glass jars, but where should people store their spices? So if you do have glass jars that you want to use, yeah, they just need to be in a cupboard okay. away from the light and also away from the heat. So that's they're the two most important things when storing spices. Okay, so out of direct out sunlight. Out of sunlight, out of any heat, yeah. Um, and finally, we're going to go Desert Island disc style here. Um, if you could only use one spice or one spice blend, I'll be generous. For the rest of your life, what would you go for? Yeah, I'm. I will go for house blend. Okay. I so which I grew up in this. So house blend. Sorry, yeah, I'll explain. That's got two of our pool beavers, which is the mm-hmm. Turkish chili flakes, Lovely. plus a sumac. And I grew up in Istanbul where you go to cafes, restaurants and on the tables they'll just have, rather than salt and pepper, they have a, a pot of pool beaver and they just fling it on any dish and it, as I said earlier, it jazzes up any dish. So I use that instead of salt and pepper. Well, instead of salt, sometimes sometimes we'll sometimes use pepper as well, pepper. but you can <laughs> use it on grilled fish, grilled meat, salads, cheeses, wow. everything. It's, yeah, it's and my favourite. I think it's, one of our, I think it's one of our most versatile spices mm. as well. We get um, friends every single weekend who would like send us photos of their fried eggs on toast, oh. and it's just got a little bit of the house yeah. blend on it, and it Perks really it elevates up. the dish. So um, what would you go for? Oh, it's like asking me to choose <laughs> my favourite child, <laughs> and it changes one. the whole time. I think for mm. ages it was fennel, just because I was like this fennel is so different to anything else I've come across, and it was a really great illustration of just how different good quality spices can be but at the minute it's probably cardamom because (laughs) I had it with rhubarb yesterday and because I'm so excited I think my favorite favorite flavor combination is apricots and cardamom it just makes me think of summer yeah in the run-up to summer that's yeah yeah that can (laughs) spur us on well thank you so much that was lovely and if you do want to buy some of their beautiful spices you can either buy them individually as the tins you can buy them they've got like pre-made boxes or for gifts you can kind of mix and match and choose whatever you want really so it's rootedspices.co.uk.com rootedspices.com so head there and yeah thank you so much absolute pleasure thank Thank you. you So that was the Olive Magazine podcast. If you like this episode, please head over to iTunes and leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to find out more information on things in this episode, you can visit our website, olivemagazine.com. 
you can still pick up a copy of our April issue on the newsstand now or go and download the app version. Bye for now and we'll be back next week with more food and drink chat. Thank you.